Hello, church. Uh, good to be with you once again. I am so, so sorry that we had to postpone our Sunday morning regathering. Um, that was something I was looking forward to. And uh, I got to get away with my family for some time, and uh, we went on a little road trip. And I leave you guys in charge for one week, and, uh, you know, it all goes bad. No, just kidding. Um, I know it's a really rough time, but um, I was talking with a lot of the other pastors, kind of down central, uh, New City. They had met for a couple weeks. Now they're postponing for a few weeks. North Phoenix was going to open, but now they're postponing for indefinitely. Um, and so it's just a, it's a tough time to figure out what exactly to do. We're trying our best to hear from the Lord first and let that be our driver, but then also take into account all the other information that's coming. And so I, I feel good with where we're at. Um, I think it's really good that we're still meeting at home, and I, I really do encourage you, if you're, if you're healthy and if you're feeling comfortable, to, to go ahead and meet with people in your home for Sunday services. There's just something so good about gathering together in that way. And then we will, as soon as we can. I mean, we're looking at July 12th right now to get back together in person um, with all the social distancing and all of that that we can do. So stay tuned. Hang in there, church. We're going to figure this out. Um, and we're going to kick off a new series today in the book of John. I'm very excited about this. I think it's really an important um, time for us to be doing this, and uh, it's going to be good. I also want to say that we really do appreciate any of the, the photos you can send us, whether you post them on Living Streams um, uh, social media or if you just email them to me, even david at livingstreams.org. Love to see pictures of what it looks like for you to do church right now. You get to see a picture of me, what it looks like to do church on Sunday mornings. You're watching it right now. And I'd really love to see some pictures of what it looks like for you. Helps me know how you're interacting and how to pray for you in some of those ways. Um, and also, thanks for sending the kids' drawings. Those have been really cool and fun. And uh, we'll have some more of that going on today. And uh, this, this week, though, if you do, send me um, an email of your gathering or send me a picture of what you get. You're going to get something in your mailbox. So everybody, you don't have to win or anything this time. It's just coming your way because I feel so bad about postponing our gathering. So anyways, today what I'd like to do, I'd like to try and give some context to our cultural moment that we have here. Um, I would like to begin to show us what God's politic or God's agenda or vision or what God wants to see happen in America. Um, and then I also, three, want to try and keep us um, from being puppets pulled by the strings of the devil, the world, and the flesh. Um, this is always a challenge for us, but um, it seems to be very challenging right now as we're all disrupted and uncomfortable and kind of grasping in some ways what we're supposed to do. And uh, we have these powerful internet trolls or powerful marketers, um, and we have people that really are trying to put forth deceitful schemes right now. And we need to be very aware um, as believers, like Jesus taught us, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So wanted to keep us doing that. So. With that being said, we'll jump into these three different sections. First of all, our cultural moment. Um, we humans, um, every single one of us, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what socioeconomic scale, uh, part of the scale we're on, um, we are all closet critical theorists. Um, and basically what critical theory is this. It's the reflective assessment and critique of society and culture in order to reveal and challenge power structures. That's the philosophical term for what a critical theorist is. And it's true that we are all doing that. In other words, we all have an opinion on what is wrong in society and whose fault it is. 
That's basically what a critical theorist is. And so we've all been closet critical theorists for all this time, but as you know, this disruption of COVID and the social unrest and, and racial unrest, um, all this stuff is stirring up so much in us that we're not so much closet theorists anymore. We're coming out and we're shouting and we're, we're feeling these things and there's emotion attached to all of them and we're posting them and hearing other people's posts and it's really causing this major stirring within our soul. Um, we know things are not right we know things don't feel right, and so we want to know what we can do or whose fault it is and all of that. Um, and so just, just be aware of that, that that's not a new reality. That's something that, that we all kind of have all the time, and it's something that, that philosophers have been studying for a long, long time. Um, and it's just our moment to manage this, our moment to decide how we're going to handle disruption, discomfort, the challenges that the world has faced um, all over the place for a lot of years. Um, I was on a, a call every week. I'm on this call with um, pastors from around the valley. And ever since COVID hit and we had to start to shut down our churches, we started getting together to really just kind of encourage each other and talk with each other. Um, it's been a really beautiful thing to see the, the churches in Phoenix um, and some other parts uh, rally together. And it's been very encouraging. And uh, this last week, one of the guys was, was talking about critical theory and some of that. And, and he was basically saying that what he's, what he's seen is that everyone in our churches seems to be falling into um, three different camps. And the first camp is the people who are just kind of denying that COVID is a real thing or it's something we should, you know, you know disrupt our lives at all. We should just kind of forget about it. It's not real. It's not a big deal. Um, and then there are also people in that camp who are saying, you know, racism and all of those things isn't something new or isn't something we should really um, alter or change. It's just kind of always going to be there. So there's kind of this denial camp that, that a lot of people aren't really saying that because it's unpopular, but that's, that's some people are definitely in that camp. And then you have the people who are admitting that there are some things that are really wrong. There are systemic realities that are wrong. Um, both that COVID has revealed, but that, you know, some of the, the horrors of racism that have popped up have revealed, um, and also just our political unrest um, as we're going towards another election. All those things have stirred all these things. So we admit there is a problem, and then we've decided to pledge our allegiance to one specific solution, whether it be political, whether it be um, some sort of human rights solution, whether it be some sort of medical thing, depending on how you apply it. And, and so we feel like we found something of an agenda, something of a social kind of movement that we can jump into, we can pledge allegiance to, and we can run with. Um, so that's another camp of some of those people. And then there's a, another camp, and this is where I think a lot of people in the church might be finding themselves in, is that there's this, we admit there's a problem, um, and we want to do something to help. Um, we want to figure out what to say, what to do, um, and, and yet we really don't feel like anything we're hearing, anything we're seeing really does solve the problem, whether it be, you know, how Trump wants to do it or Biden wants to do it or Black Lives Matter wants to do it or, or some other agencies want to do it. Like, we're just, it, nothing really seems to really encapsulate what we feel like is a good solution. And, uh, and so we're challenged in that regard. And, and you know, I'm not saying good or bad on all of those entities. I'm sure there's a lot of people trying to do good things, but we're just left feeling a little bit of um, uncertainty. We're left feeling a little unsure. We're left feeling a little bit lacking in all of the different movements and things that we see. And uh, that's, that's kind of a little bit where we're at. And that's what brings us to the book of John. And what I love about the book of John is John was, was writing 
um, this book towards the end of his life. He'd been there and he'd done that. He, he, had, he had tried a lot of things, he'd seen a lot of things, and now he's probably around 90 years old as he sits to pen this gospel account of the life of Jesus. The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they had already been in circulation. The church was not brand new. The church was, you know, a few decades old at this point. And it was established in Jerusalem and some other places. And it was starting to get established in, in uh, farther reaching places. John, who had walked with Jesus literally in the flesh for three years, and then had seen the Spirit of God come and fill the church and begin to overcome obstacles and do miraculous things and see people's lives change and, and see it take root in the Roman Empire against all odds and against persecution and oppression in major ways. John was both a Jew and a Christian, which basically there's nothing worse you could be in the Roman Empire during his time. And yet John was, was kind of continuing to go through his life and continuing to let the, the message, the gospel of Christ, filter into his life, continuing to develop and form into the image of Christ. He took seriously his own spiritual formation, even now that Jesus was gone. He took seriously the evangelism that, God, um, that Jesus was calling him to. And he was going around the world and he was telling people how to, to love one another and sharing about the love of Christ. And, and this was John. He, he had experienced very, very severe persecution. Church history tells us he was actually um, dipped in boiling oil as they tried to kill him, but he survived that. Um, they didn't know what else to do with him, so they exiled him to Patmos, um, an, a prison island, and there he survived that as well. And now he was just old enough to where they thought he couldn't do any damage. And so he's brought back and he's able to sit down and he's able to pen these words to tell us what he would say Jesus' life and message really were all about. And as he says in um, John 20, uh, verse 30 and 31, he tells us why he wrote this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's answer. He's the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why he wrote these words, so that we would understand and see that Jesus is the answer. He's God's solution to anything we could ever go through. And that if we find ourselves in him, if we follow in his way, if we receive what he has to give us, it will create life in us, the kind of life that death cannot overcome. The kind of life that doesn't just feel like existence and going through the motions. The kind of life that gets us free from all the strings, all the puppet strings of this world that are trying to control us and tell us how we're supposed to live or what life really is. And so for you kids, real quick, as we go forward, this idea of the puppet on the strings, this is the image I want you to draw and send to me. So draw a puppet and then draw these strings trying to control the puppet and move the puppet because that's a reality in our world, that we are controlled by something. We think we're Americans and nobody controls us, but we have marketers telling us what to do and what life really should look like. We have the social media and all the other medias telling us what's important, what's valuable, what's not. We have all these things even in our own soul kind of dividing us and telling us which way to go and what to do. And so what we really want to do is figure out how to not be a puppet, you know, attached to those strings, but people who are living the life that God has called us to live because that's really what the world needs. He needs for each one of us to figure out what he's designed us to do and to live into that fully. And so that's what John's going to teach us about here as we get into this. So let's read John chapter 1, 
verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These are some important words as he uses this word, word, to describe Jesus. Could have used a lot of different words, but this is what he said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he goes on, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own rejected him, would not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who belong, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh then and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is writing this. We have seen it. We have touched it. We watched it day in and day out. The glory of God made flesh in the person of Christ. John testifies concerning Him, John the Baptist. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me and surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So here it is. John is writing at the end of his life after he's seen it all, done it all, experienced all of the world, experienced all of the life of Christ inside of him. He sits down to write and he says, what am I going to call Jesus? What word can I use to describe who he is and what God did in his life? And he uses this word logos, logos. And it is an extremely powerful word. It has so much depth and connotation, both in the Greek world, in the Roman world, um, and we have the word word for it, which is just kind of such a letdown in a lot of ways. Basically, in the, in the Greek world, as John was writing this, um, the, the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning, the logos. This is what basically all of the philosophers are trying to figure out. What is behind everything? What is really what causes everything? What is the motivation for everything? What is, what is the purpose of everything? They kept trying to peel back the layers and all the noise in society, all the, the guesses, all of the, the thoughts, all of the assumptions. They were continuing to try and peel everything back to get to the core, the true reality of the cosmos. And that was the word that they used, logos. And so John is grabbing this word that is so intense and powerful and pr provocative and only really belongs to a certain segment of philosophical society. And he grabs it out of there and he says, hold on. This is who Jesus is. 
In the beginning was God's appeal, God's politic, God's agenda, God's plan, God's design. It was there in the very beginning, and it was with God, and it was God somehow. And then, and then at some point he says, and then that plan, that design, that, that theory, that vision, whatever it might be, it became flesh and walked among us. And John is saying, and I got to see what it looked like and felt like and sounded like as I walked with Jesus. God has an agenda. God has a politic. God has a plan. God is very, very intricately, intricately involved in every single thing that happens in our world. There is nothing he does not allow. There is nothing that he does not control. And it's very hard for us to process this. That's why in the prophets it says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. They're too high for me. They're too confusing for me. I don't understand your purposes and intentions all the time. But what Jesus is and why we're going to spend the rest of this, this year maybe in, or at least the next few months in, in the book of John is because I want us to get a really clear picture of what God's agenda is, what God's message is, and there's no better place to look than Jesus Christ. He is the whole thing. He's God's plan. He is God in the flesh. He is the glory of God, which is really what we long for. All of the discomfort we have, all of the we're longing for the reign of Christ ultimately. Because his reign is truly good. It's truly glorious. And everything that we do ends up being human. It ends up being temporal. It ends up you know, being good for some and bad for others. That's all we can come up with. And yet God has come in the flesh. God has dwelt among us. God has now left his spirit to be among us to where we can know the plan of God. That's what he says at the end there. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We can know God's plan, God's politic, and it's found in the Logos. It's found in Jesus Christ. Um, so we'll skip down here to, to this next part. So what do we do? How do we keep from being this puppet on the strings of society or the gravity in this world that's pulling us into superficial and artificial busyness to where we think we're helping, but we're not really helping. We think we're doing something, but then the next thing we know, we're wanting to run over here, and then that person says, this is better, and then this person, and we're kind of in between all these things. And basically, we all know with the internet, you can get any kind of, you know, substantial media or substantial video or information to support whatever side you might be on in any spectrum of any discussion. And you watch something one and it really compels you to go this way. And you watch something the next day and it compels you to go this way. It's exhausting and frustrating. So how can we be people that aren't puppets on the strings? And that's where I want to talk about John the Baptist now. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus and, and really how he reveals to us God's plan and, and what he did. It's going to be fun. But John the Baptist is the next person that John the Apostle introduced here. And I think there's just some key, key things coming from the way John introduces us to him that will help us know how to move forward and how to apply or how to get involved in the agenda of God in our world. The first thing is that we need to realize that you and no other human is the answer to the world's problems. Now this is made clear in 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 19. When it talks about John, it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent him 
sent the priests and the Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. And here's the deal. Here's what we have to begin with. We have to start at this place where we realize humanity cannot accomplish the work of God in and of themselves. And, and, and I know this kind of feels a little funny because sometimes it's, it's, it's confusing and the next point will make sense of it. But I want you to think about that Tower of Babel. That Tower of Babel, the flood had come, it had wiped out people. People were freaked out, people were unsure of what to do, they were nervous. And, and so over time they begin to kind of have this idea that we could really come together and we could build this tower and maybe it would help us to ascend to, to know what God knows or maybe it would help us to have this thing that's high enough to where if the floodwaters come, then we'll be above it and God can't even wipe us. In, in some ways there's something in humanity that basically we think we know better than God. And, and really it comes from a place where we've been let down by God because of pain in our life or struggle. And so we eventually start to say, okay, God, forget you. I'm going to figure this thing out on my own. And we become self-reliant. And, and it's a subtle way that it comes in. But even the very Garden of Eden, that's where it began. The serpent came and said to Eve, like, do you really, you know, need God? Does God really know what's best for you? Maybe you should decide for yourself what's best. And there's this subtle, we've got to find a way to humble ourselves as a nation, as a city, as a people. To humble ourselves before God and say, all right, God, we're not going to say another thing. We're not going to make another move until you speak and you lead us. This is the way that John the Baptist was. John the Baptist, you know, went outside of society. John the Baptist was eating locusts and honey. John the Baptist was trying to find out what God wanted to do. And then he was compelled by God to do the things that he did. And then when they asked him, like, well, it seems like you're doing something good here, John. You're drawing people back. What are you? He's saying, look, I am not the answer. I'm just here to kind of help people connect with God because God is the answer. And I think that's really important for us as we go forward. Um, secular humanism, any humanistic effort is going to fail. It's going to fail. It only is the work of God that's going to produce the kind of goodness and beauty we want to see in our world. So first of all, realize it's not us. The second thing that we need to do is realize that God loves to share his glory with the world. He loves to share his glory with the world. He wants everyone to know him and his plan. And he loves to do it through you and I. And so this is where it kind of flips a little bit. First realize that it's not you. It's not in you. It's not something you can come up with to solve the world's problems. But God, who has a solution, who can actually solve the world's problems, has decided that his favorite tool is you. The favorite way that he wants to move in the world and, and express his glory and help people know his plan and, and actually experience the goodness of his plan, it's through you. It's through the church. The scripture that supports that comes in John chapter 1 when it says, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down, this was John saying, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's saying, I could baptize you in some water and it can be this kind of sign of you saying no to, to what society had for you doing. It's kind of you getting freed up of the puppet streams, so to speak. And it's you now being governed by God. It's you submitting to God. Like I can do that for you, but it's not really going to empower you in any way. But he's saying there's one coming, the one who you see the Spirit come down on a ramp. He will baptize you with the power 
with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of God that will help you actually overcome your own sinful nature. That will help you overcome the sinful nature of those around you. The sinful nature of your parents or your, those who have hurt you. He's going to give you the power. And so that's the second thing. So we need to realize, first of all, the power is not in us. It's not something that we can achieve if we just work hard enough. It's something that we have to find God's power to do. So first of all, it's not in us. And then like John, we need to realize, but Jesus has given us the power. And if we come to Jesus, he has the power. And he loves to use us to fill us with his spirit so that we can go forward and speak the word of God that actually brings healing. And do the things of God that actually help people and lift people up instead of just create byproducts of other oppressions in some way. So important for us to realize this, and John was a master at this. And then the third thing that we have to remember is that the Word became flesh. And I just think this is so amazing that our God, the God who made us, the God who knows everything about us, the God who was rejected by us, the God who has been betrayed by us, He came, and He became one of us. He became flesh. He didn't just say what we should do. He didn't just tell us from far. But he came and he entered into our pain, into our struggle, entered into our own sin. He took all of humanity's sin upon him on that cross. He became flesh. He associated himself with us in order to really set us free and to show us how much God loves us and God has a plan for us. And so for us, we need to do just like what John the Baptist did. The next day, John was there, chapter 1, verse 35. He was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And I love this about John. First of all, John the Baptist is like, Look, it is not in me. I don't have the answers. I'm not the answer. Don't look to me. We need to look for the one who has the power the Holy Spirit. And so he would say, this is what we need to do. But then he knew that the Spirit was able to empower him to do some good. And so he did baptize. He did disciple people. He did speak the word of God. He did speak out against oppressive and abusive leaders. Absolutely, he did those things. He he let the word of God become fresh. And I love what else here is he didn't try and bring people to himself. But here he says to his disciples, that's the one that you should follow. And so they left him. They were following him. And then they left him and followed Jesus. And this is Andrew and a guy named Peter. John was just not holding on tightly to everything. He was doing the work of God, both speaking words out, both walking in and meeting people where they're at and helping people find God. But, but he didn't try and hold all that in together. But he continued to just point people to Jesus, point people to Jesus, point people to Jesus. And this is such an important factor. And some of the experience I've had in this is, is one of the things that we felt like God told us to do when we went to live in Belize was was we needed to go and stir up the pot and try and help people find Jesus and help disciple people. But then we needed to leave as well. And part of that strategy, we felt like the Lord was saying, because we need to make sure people connect with God and not with us. And it's been so encouraging me to see these these guys like Orel and Kenny and and, and and then the people they're hanging out with and and the work that they're doing, um, it's completely disconnected to us because they have now connected with God the Father and the power. So they, they don't need what I help, can help them with. They need Jesus himself. They need his power in their life. 
And so it's so important that we connect people to God. We connect people to his strength and his life. And we got to make sure we're not connecting them to, to us. And so this is a little bit funny when you're trying to lead a church and gather people together. But, but we want to be a sending church at Living Streams. We, we've said this before, that Living Streams, you have never needed us. You've never needed me. Not one day of your life have you needed me. You've got to connect your life to God. You've got to find a way to be in relationship with Jesus. Follow him, hear his voice, and then walk in the power that he gives you in the direction that he leads you. This is so important. And in some ways, God has kind of, you know, shut down the, the church world in some ways, in our city and in our nation. And I think this is one of the things he's really wanting to teach all of us. That it's our time individually, in our own spheres and circles, we need to connect to God and we need to walk in his power. The priesthood of believers that we've been talking about. You have been sent, we've been talking about. That, that God really does want to share his glory with the world and the way he wants to do it is through you, in your own families, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your workplaces, in missionary endeavors, whatever it might be. It's funny because at the beginning of the service, I was thinking about saying, hey, we've postponed a couple weeks. We're looking at July 12th. But, but if you're really in a place where you want to be with God's people and you really need that, then I know Church for the Nations down the street is open. Bethany Bible is open. I know New, New, New City, they shut down for a couple weeks and North Phoenix is, is uh, postponing just like us. But, but, but go to places. You know, that's fine. We're, we're all in this together. No one needs to be connected to one individual or one church or whatever. Like we need to, we need to be connected to Jesus and go where he's sending us. Now, I know, I mean, for me, Living Streams is where God has called me to be and to care for people, and I hope that he's called you in that way, too. But ultimately, we need Jesus. We need to be led by him. And right now, the world is shouting a thousand different things that we should do. We need to find a way to quiet ourselves and get with Jesus and make that connection stronger than any other connection. And there's only one person that can do that for you, and that's you. And so in the, as a little bit of a response time for you, whether you're alone or whether you're in a group, um, we've got a little slide we're going to put up. We want you to just pray through these things. Take a moment to still your heart and then, and then pray through these things and write some of those things down and then share them with the group if, that you're in or maybe text somebody if you're alone. Um, but take some time and really allow God's word to kind of wash over you and then, and then God's spirit to kind of speak from within you and really give you some guidance for this week. So in the quietness of your own space, um, take a minute and, and pray through these things.